Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 6145 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at this hour... Thousands protest against IGAD's peace proposal in South Sudan and South African Opposition Party takes President Zuma to court. In economics, Zimbabwe's central bank caps lending rate at 18% and in sports news, South Africa lose opening match of the Netball World Cup. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. Eminent African leaders have strongly condemned a trend among some leaders on the continent to tamper with the constitution to extend their stay in office. In Burundi, President Pierre Nkurunziza was re-elected after disputed polls which were preceded by violence in which civilians were killed and thousands were forced to flee to neighboring countries. In Rwanda, the country's parliament backs President Paul Kagame's plan to scrap presidential terms, while in Uganda, President Yoweri Museveni is seeking yet another term in office. One of the eminent leaders, former Botswana President Sakitumile Masire. Personally, I left office because I felt going on for too long. It never can be good. But you nurse a situation up to a point and then leave for another person to take over. People have just that nature of wanting to see something different. And it is also have an inherent positive nature that you can't be good in everything. When somebody else comes, he can practice your good and add his own good and then for make a bigger good. South Sudan's government and the rebel faction led by former Vice President Rahik Macha have resumed peace negotiations in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. President Salvakir has written a letter to the Intergovernmental Authority for Development expressing concern and being given a deadline for a peace agreement, saying peace cannot be signed under duress. South Sudan's chief government negotiator, Neil Hinden Nil. What South Sudan really requires from IGAD Plus and the international community is not the imposition of deadlines for conclusion of a peace agreement, but rather a set of effective measures to compel the SPLMA in opposition to adhere to the cessation of hostilities agreement of January 23, 2014. Because once the cessation of hostilities agreement takes hold, it will just be a matter of time before the political process takes care of itself the government and opposition parties in Burundi have been urged by the UN to immediately resume dialogue amid deteriorating security in the country. The UN Peace Building Commission is concerned over reports of violence and human rights violations, including an attack on a respected human rights defender. The commission has only strongly condemned the killing of a senior general and close aide to the country's president, Pierre Nkurunziza. 
A new round of peace talks to resolve the conflict in Libya is due to get underway next Monday. The North African country has been plagued by factional fighting since the overthrow of President Muammar Gaddafi in 2011. The UN mission in the country, Ansmal's chief, Bernardino Leone, says he hopes the new talks will bring consensus on outstanding issues among the parties. South Africa's President Jacob Zuma has called for unity in the ruling ANC's Women's League. This as the league prepares for one of the most hotly contested leadership races later today. The Social Development Minister, Batabi Lamini, is contesting for the position of President, while current President Angie Mutsecha is seeking re-election. Yesterday, delegates sang songs about their preferred candidate, a move which some have described as divisive. President Zuma has also expressed concern at the culture of making leadership elections a priority. What happens these days, delegates are deprived of that opportunity because they are discussing elections. Did Charlotte McClangas and Goyes did that? Why are we doing it? We are changing the organization to be something else so that when you come to conference, the outcome of the conference is poorer because delegates had no time to prepare, because they were busy in the lobby sessions. And finally, a 5.6 magnitude earthquake has struck the eastern part of the Democratic Republic of Congo. The U.S. Geological Survey says the quake hit an area 39 kilometers north of Bukavu this morning. It says the area is not far from the border with Rwanda. That's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Anne. It's 8.06 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. South Sudan's rival leaders began peace talks on Thursday as international pressure mounts ahead of an August 17 deadline to strike a deal to end 19 months of civil war. Delegates met in the Ethiopian capital, Addis Ababa, under mediation from the regional eight-nation bloc, IGAD, the International Governmental Authority on Development. South Sudan began conflict in December 2013 and several peace negotiations have happened in Ethiopia's capital Addis Ababa. However, the last phase hit a deadlock in March 2015 and the peace talks were suspended indefinitely. Now the government of South Sudan and the rebel faction led by former Vice President Riek Mashar have met again to resume peace negotiations that hit a deadlock in March 2015. The negotiations have begun happening in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, and they are based on a proposed compromise agreement drafted by the Intergovernmental Agency for Development, IGAD, that has been brokering peace talks between the two warring factions. But as the peace talks begin, the proposed compromise agreement is already facing contention. Prior to negotiations, the president of South Sudan, Salva Kiir, sent a nine-page letter to the chairperson of IGAD, Haile Mariam Desalin, who is also the prime minister of Ethiopia. He outlined his protest against the proposed compromise agreement presented by IGAD mediation, which he says is intimidating. 
President Salva Kiir in his letter says that he does not support the 17th August deadline for a peace agreement, saying that peace cannot be signed under duress. He has also criticized the proposed compromise agreement for harboring competing interests in the region and beyond. Juba has further requested that the United Nations and Troika should allow only the warring parties of South Sudan to negotiate. South Sudan is opposed to a suggestion of demilitarizing South Sudan and putting it under the custody of agencies like the United Nations and the African Union, as the compromise proposed agreement suggests. Niel Deng Niel is the chief negotiator of South Sudan government. What South Sudan really requires from IGAD plus and the international community is not the imposition of deadlines for conclusion of a peace agreement, but rather a set of effective measures to compel the SPLMA in opposition to adhere to the cessation of hostilities agreement of January 23, 2014. Because once the cessation of hostilities agreement takes hold, it will just be a matter of time before the political process takes care of itself. The rebel faction, on the other hand, insists that the current government of South Sudan is illegitimate. Taban Deng, the chief negotiator of the rebel faction, says that in this round of peace talks, the current government has no say. That I'm negotiating with a government that has lost its legitimacy as of July 8, 2015. Hence, it cannot continue to claim legitimacy to deserve that special advantage in power sharing. We recognize that. Experts already say that the IGAD compromise agreement that was proposed has loopholes that may complicate negotiation in the next few days. Some other proposals include suggestions that the three oil states be put under control of the rebels and power be shared in a way that the two new vice presidents suggested will have veto power over the president. In addition, other proposals of the compromise agreement include the idea that the government and the rebels continue controlling separate armies until the integration period or the transition period is complete. Another issue that seems unattainable is the suggestion that South Sudan carries out security and defense review in six months only. For now, it is only time that will tell if the two warring parties will reach a compromise on some issues or even all issues by the time two weeks elapse and 17th August reaches when they are expected to sign a peace agreement according to the IGAD-led mediation. Koleto Njoye for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Thousands of people in South Sudan are protesting against the IGAD peace Packed proposal before it's officially signed on the 17th of this month by President Salva Kiir and his rival Riek Machar. The demonstrators claim the pact will split Africa's newest nation in two by creating two separate armies. James Shimangula reports. The demonstrators included staunch ordinary supporters of South Sudan President Salva Kiir and pro-government activists. The impact of the demonstrations was felt in four of the country's ten regions, western and northern Bahar el-Ghazal, close to South Sudan's border with the Central African Republic, Warap, north of the disputed oil-rich region of Abye, as well as the equally oil-rich regions of Unity and Apennine. The regions strategically located on the northwest and northeast of the country's capital, Juba, are considered to be strongholds of rebel leader Riek Machar. Leader of the demonstrators, Ajanga Koch, 
explained why the demonstrations were being held. We have organized this peaceful demonstration to show our disappointment in the compromise peace agreement. We are rejecting third party military army forces for force to protect Captain City Juba. One of the demonstrators, Joshua McQuay, discloses the consequences of power sharing and the creation of two separate armies. Igas will fuel up the conflict if they are agreed upon. We reject the 53% in the power sharing allotted to the opposition in the greater upper Nile will later result to the separation of one country. Adoption of two armies during the transitional period will create mistrust among the two armies. A middle-aged demonstrator, Elizabeth Makur, wondered what would happen if Riek Machar's rebels, she referred to as those people, took control of the oil-producing Upper Nile region. If those people took Upper Nile, what will be the future of the South Sudan? Stephen Robo, coordinator of Community Empowerment for Progress Organization, known in short as CEPO, a civil society group, says the demonstrations took him by surprise. CEPO never received official invitation to attend this uh, protest. Second to that, we don't know who is organizing the protest itself. Those are the major areas. So we thought if there's anything, there will be a right channel of passing information. Also, look at the issue of security arrangements. It's important for the two warring armies to be different barracks for the reason of we are looking for security reform. Stephen Robo, coordinator of Community Empowerment for Progress Organization in South Sudan, known in short as SEPO. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Leader of South Africa's opposition party, the EFF, Julius Malema, says the only way to make President Jacob Zuma pay back the money used on non-security upgrades at his Nganda private residence is through the Constitutional Court. He was addressing the media in Parliament following President Zuma's oral reply session. Malema also says the opposition parties and the ANC have now become the enemy of the EFF in Parliament after they all agreed to pass rules to remove MPs. Our parliamentary correspondent, Mercedes Bessent, tells us more. Julius Malema says various efforts to get an answer of when President Zuma intends to pay back the money have failed. He says they have a constitutional court challenge on its way to make the president pay back the money. We have lost the papers today in the constitutional court, uh, asking the constitutional court to compel the president to pay the money as recommended through the process of the public protector. So we know very well that uh, the only thing now which can compel the president to comply with the remedial actions of the public protector is the court. Because the president seeks to render the office of the public protector useless. The president wants to collapse a corruption-fighting machinery. 
ANC Chief Whipstone Cizani says the EFF is free to approach the courts if they want to challenge the president. Honorable Malema and the EFF have got the right to go to any court in the country. That's what democracy and the rule of law is all about. We welcome them to do that. Perhaps we'll also be able to get space to deal with all the other matters that we're supposed to deal with. But Malema also took a swipe at the ANC and opposition parties after the rule that deals with the removal of MPs was passed and supported by all parties, saying the EFF is also challenging the rules in the High Court in Cape Town. We are dealing with them now combined. All oppositions, including the ruling party, they are enemies of the EFF and we are going to deal with them decisively. It is them against the real opposition called the EFF. Not even a rule can stop the EFF. And that rule also, we have taken it to court. We lost papers yesterday with uh, the Western Cape High Court against that rule because it suppresses the freedom of speech, which is absolute. But Cizani says he's not surprised that the EFF sees the ANC as its number one enemy. He says it's also welcoming to see that the EFF is no longer only focusing on the ANC but also on the opposition. The EFF can deal with their mates because they have been buddy buddies with the DA for a long time against the ANC. In fact, they had a, a, co- a coalition of opposition parties against the ANC. But now... Uh, they're happy to be at each other's throats and we marvel at the opportunity to refocus the nation on the real issues whilst they are busy at each other. Meanwhile, both Maimane and Stone Cizani say National Assembly Speaker Balekambete should be applauded for the way she handled the proceedings yesterday. No, I thought she did a good job. I thought she was patient and I think she's learned. We asked her to keep calm, to remain patient and not destroy the house and I thought she did that. I really respected the masterpiece of the speaker. She held a nerve, she was patient, she was magnanimous. She really allowed everybody to expose themselves. First, that they are no longer interested in representing the people, but rather to get points. Chief Whip of South Africa's ruling ANC Stone Cizani ending that report by Mercedes Percent in Parliament. A highly spirited contest for leadership is unfolding at South Africa's ruling ANC's Women's League Conference in Pretoria. The opening day saw lobbying for new leadership kick into high gear, forcing leaders to call for a clean race and for delegates to stop singing divisive songs. The race is on between President Andrew Mutsecha and former Secretary General Batabile Lamini. Busi Chumombe attended the conference and felt this report. Even as the delegates entered the venue, it was clear that tensions were running high between those supporting the two presidential contenders, incumbent Angie Mutsecha and Social Development Minister Batabile Lamini. Some delegates were holding up two fingers to signify a second term for Mutsecha, while others made the change sign a clear indication that they want Lamini to take over the reins. Mutsecha arrived to thunderous applause and equally loud booing by the 3,000 delegates in attendance. This is not the first time the two have squared off for the league's top post, having done so at the league's Mangaung conference seven years ago. 
In her political address, Mutsekha called for a clean race, saying the outcome of the election can never be seen as a zero-sum game. At the heart of the NC Women's League Comrade and, and the future of our growth lies unity of purpose, Maklaban. I was saying to Comrade Nange Nine, we still be members of the ANC. After all this is said and done, on the 9th, we'll all be members of the ANC Women's League. And we still need each other. We are going to an elections campaign, Comrade. We need, we need each other. So, it was a sentiment echoed by ANC Secretary General Gwede Mantashe, who warned delegates divisions will be at their own peril and threaten the future of the fragile organization. These songs that are dividing you, please don't sing them if they, you want to. The signs, I've seen some signs that we normally see in a divided conference of the ANC, please stop those signs. Because you are now in the conference, you have a right to lobby each other, you can vote the way you like, you don't need to display that in public. The conference was attended by many of South Africa's most prominent women leaders, amongst them Police Commissioner Ria Piecha, who earlier in the week got the backing of the League as she fights for her job following the damning Fallen report on the 2012 Marikana police shootings. African Union Chairperson Kosazane Ramini Zuma was the one person whom all delegates seemed united in welcoming as she took her seat on the podium. As the delegates prepared to vote, Batabile Lamini was philosophical in her outlook. I've accepted a um, nomination and um, I'm prepared to accept whatever outcome uh, because we are all members of the ANC and uh, what is good about the ANC is that even if you are not uh, elected at whatever structure, you have a role to play uh, in the structures of the ANC. So I will continue being a member uh, of the ANC Women's League, even if I don't uh, get uh, elected. Meanwhile, Mutsekha took the opportunity to assert the autonomy of the League, perhaps answering to those who often criticize the body as a mouthpiece of the mother body, something to be used and exploited. She says while a symbiotic relationship must exist with the ANC, it must back off from meddling in the league's business. We have seen a trend that we've never experienced before where ANC leadership has been completely arrogant. Being told in a, as an organization on, on an official platform by ANC chairs and regional chairs on who to choose amongst abuse of office, I want to say. And we must reject it in no uncertain terms. As ANC, we continue to be the integral part of the ANC, but we remain autonomous. Yes, we can be lobbied, we can discuss, but surely we can be told who to elect as our leaders. The conference continues on Friday, with the results of the elections to be revealed in the evening. Discussions on key issues facing women are taking place in between. That report by Busi Chimombe in Pretoria. South African President Jacob Zuma has called for unity within the ANC's Women's League. This as the league prepares itself for one of the most hotly contested leadership race late, later today on Friday. It's understood that Social Development Minister Batabili Lamini is contesting current President Angie Mutsecha for the position. Yesterday, delegates sang songs about their preferred candidate, a move which has been described by some as divisive. Senior political journalist Amos Pajo reports.
Delegates in favor of Mutecha were holding up two fingers, signaling a second term, while those who wanted Lamini to take over rolled their hands, signaling change. However, President Zuma is worried that the culture of prioritizing leadership election during congresses, instead of discussing the state of the organization, continue to grow. In the normal circumstances, only when you have done so, you know exactly where were the shortcomings, were there any problem with the comrades, were giving the responsibility to lead, were they falling short or they did very well. Now with the new programs and the resolutions, who among us we believe can do better? So that the idea about who must lead in whatever position comes last. And you look at the comrades because of you can agree that this comrade is capable. Zuma has warned that ANC does not belong to individuals. He says while contestation is a constitutional imperative, it must be done in a democratic and comradely manner. Once conference has decided, even those who would not have won with their candidate, they have won. They rally behind the new leadership. We must not continue with the wrong tendency that if your candidate has not succeeded, as the conference ends, you start undermining the one who has won. Zuma says the league's four bearers like Charlotte Matloike and Lillian Goy achieved tremendous strides in advancing equal rights for women in the organization and in the country. He described the current representation of women within the organization and also in government as a great achievement in addressing gender imbalances inherited from the apartheid era. Zuma has urged the current generation of leaders to speak in one voice to ensure that this legacy is sustained. I always believe that you must leave the ANC back than you found it and if that is the case on our mother body I believe you today mobility being better than what it was in the early days and communication you have all the instruments in your hands you cannot make this human's league that has grown that all of you you participate consciously to make it worse than what it was you can't you should make it better than what it was then. The conference is expected to elect new leadership later today. I'm Amos Paro in Pretoria. Former Botswana President Gidumile Masire says con- continental leaders have done very little to push women to the top of political decision-making decisions, positions. Masire was addressing the conference of speakers of African parliaments in Midrand, north of Johannesburg. Women in business continue to face barriers to reach senior corporate leadership positions. Tsepo Ikanin reports. In the past decade, the continent has only had two female presidents and South Africa's Nkosa Sanatlamini Zuma is the only woman chairperson of the African Union Commission. According to a CV prepared by the UN Women and the Inter-Parliamentary Union, Cape Verde has the highest number of women occupying ministerial positions in Africa. Nearly half of its 17 ministers are women. South Africa is rated as number two, with 15 of its 36 ministers being female. Rwanda has 11 out of 31 women in ministerial posts ahead of Burundi, Tanzania and Guinea-Bissau. Masire has cited patriarchy as one of the obstacles for women empowerment. And since we have kept women in a backward position for long, we should be facilitative in making them 
uh, realize their, their potential. We are doing nothing to advance their cause. And it's psychological that because they have held that backward position, not just in Africa, but worldwide, really it must be an international uprising to give women the status uh, they deserve. Meanwhile, former president of the Pan-African Parliament, Gertrude Mongela, says the time has come for former liberation movements to elect women as heads of state. Mongela's statement comes as the ANC Women's League holds its elective conference in Pretoria. The Women's League has come under attack for failing to back a woman to contest the ruling party's presidential position. Mongela says she welcomes calls for the league to nominate a woman candidate. It's, over, it's long overdue. I saw the struggle for independence of this country and how those women toiled in our countries, in foreign lands. They were there with the men. But sometimes I wonder, when we cross the river, the men dump us into the river to swim back to the land. I think that's not fair. If we are talking about being free and fair, this is where the world is not being fair. That they involve the women in the most difficult times, but once the problems are solved, they, left, they leave the women behind. So every human being who cares about equality, who cares about human rights, should feel guilty for not allowing women or allowing, removing obstacles for women to participate in decision-making. The private sector has also been urged to do more. Despite the fact that the continent's private sector growth has reached unprecedented levels, the female talent pool continues to remain underutilized. Special Envoy on Gender at the African Development Bank, Geraldine Fraser Muleketi, says Africa's inclusive growth agenda can only succeed if barriers to women's leadership and participation are removed. The fact that we have a country with the highest number of political representatives being on the African continent, Rwanda, at 64% of women, again progress. But that's not enough because African women, after all, are 50% of its people. And we need to ensure that we draw on the human capital of the African continent. In the economic sector, we've seen women in leadership positions are at 10%. Now that clearly is not good enough and we need to push harder. The Conference of Speakers of African Parliaments will, among other things, advocate for the ratification of all protocols that will pave way for the Pan-African Parliament to have full legislative powers. Tsepo Ikaning in Midrand. It's 8.30 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. Imminent African leaders have strongly condemned a trend among some leaders on the continent to tamper with the constitution to extend their stay in office. South Sudan's government and the rebel faction led by former Vice President Rahik Machar have resumed peace negotiations in Ethiopia's capital Addis Ababa and two senior leaders of Tanzania's new opposition coalition have resigned over the nomination of a former ruling party official as the presidential candidate. Those are the stories making headlines. Africa, rise and shine.
Afrika Zora Afrika amka na unai Africa rise and shine Africa zora Africa amka na unai Malawi's High Court in Zomba is expected to sentence convicted businessman and politician Oswald Lutepo. Lutepo was found guilty of defrauding government of billions of kwachas for the work they did not perform. This happened during President Joyce Banda's administration. For more on this, we are now joined on the line from Malawi by George Mango, our correspondent in Blantyre. Good morning, George, and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. A very good morning to you too. Now, George, who is Oswald Lutepo? Oswald Lutepo is a business person. He was a senior government uh, member in the uh, People's Party, which was owned by uh, Joyce Banda, the former president, who took over from from uh, uh, the late uh, Bingo Wamutarika. That was in 2012 and he accumulated a lot of wealth at that time. And currently he is hospitalized, and at the same time he is answering all these charges of defrauding government of billions of watches. So that's the simplest history about Oswald Rutepo. Now, can you just briefly give us a background of uh, the Cashgate cases that uh, Lutepo and others are probably going to be facing? The history to the cash debt cases or the public plunder of resources here in Malawi is that uh, in 2013, government discovered that there were a number of uh, senior government officials and other junior public officials who defrauded government a number of or huge sums of money for the work that they did not do. In dollars, it could be about 200 million U.S. dollars. And Oswald Rutepo was a business person at that time. And he's one of the persons being suspected of defrauding government. And then there are a number of people. But the bottom line to all this is the shooting of one former budget director, uh, uh, Paul Prio. He was shot. And after being shot, he was taken to South Africa at New Park Hospital. That's there in Johannesburg. After being shot, taken to the hospital, for, former president Jess Banda then announced that he, she knew, she knew some of the people that did shoot Pom Prio. That, you know, necessitated everything else. And then it included the arrest of one Oswald Lutepo, the former attorney general, uh, Raf Kasandara, who is still, you know, battling in court about the assassination attempt. He was linked and he is still linked to the shooting of Pompeo. And then that, you know, you know, brought to the limelight each and every detail, the account detail at the Capitol Hill. So that is just the bottom line to all these cash debt cases. But still more, one who has been convicted so far is uh, Theresa Senzani, who is the former principal secretary in the Ministry of Tourism, Wildlife and Culture. 
Caroline Savala, Seymour, a public officer, was also convicted. And all these two are serving jail. And Oswald Rukepo is going to be the next high-level profile person to be convicted this morning. Now, George, with regards to the conviction and sentencing, is it likely that Oswald will have to pay back the money or is it only going to be him going straight to prison without returning some of uh, returning the funds that he allegedly um, defrauded government of? And, uh, you know, the defense team also wanted the confiscation of Lutepo's property. Why is this the case before the sentencing? Okay, one, Oswald Lutepo pleaded guilty to all the charges leveled against him. One, that uh, he defrauded government, he accepted. And two, that he was used as a conduit by the then former government of the People's Party. Thirdly, that he also wanted to use his property as like a collateral so that government will not get the property, and that is why there is this delay in the sentencing of him. So what it means currently is that uh, government and then the defense, or the state and the defense, are battling within those lines whether to take the property or not, or first to charge him as to whether to serve the sentence, maybe 10 years or 5 years or 15 years in jail. But Lutepo said it that they better take the property. So if they take the property, that means that uh, it's going to be a lesser, you know, sentencing. Maybe they can sentence him, maybe not, not beyond maybe five years or ten years thereabout. So that is why there is this kind of, uh, you know, confusion or this kind of dilemma between the state and the defense. They are battling. If they take the property from Lutepo, what does it mean? And after all, he pleaded guilty. He did not even waste the court's time in determining his charges or the sentencing or the conviction. So that's what it means. And as I'm talking to you now, that's where it stands. Now, George, quick, uh, very quickly, um, former President Joyce Banda, the Cashgate scandal happened during her administration. What has been her reaction so far? Her reaction is that uh, quite a number of suspects want her to be the key witnesses. Raf Kasambara pointed out that that's the former attorney general in her administration, that she wants her to be the key witness in all these allegations, uh, or, or the, all these allegations. Pompeo too wants her to be the key witness. That is where she is linked, and she has said she will not be able to attend the court, I, I mean, pronouncements or judgments because she's been abroad since last year in July. She's nowhere to be seen. She's been to South Africa, she's been to USA, she's been to China, ABCD, but she's not here in Malawi. So that's why these all suspects want her to be the key witness. George, thank you so much for joining us. That was our reporter in Malawi, George Mango, joining us on the line from Blantyre. Dear listener, would you like to be featured on our website? Send us interesting pictures such as those of people, events, or anything you think is unique and interesting. Be part of our website 
and share those memorable moments with Channel Africa and the rest of the world. Don't miss this opportunity. Take a picture now, tomorrow and every day. Pictures can be sent to info at channelafrica.org. That's info at channelafrica.org. You can view your pictures on www.channelafrica.co.za. That's www.channelafrica.co.za. And also on our Facebook page. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Accused number four in the Mido Masia murder trial in South Africa claims he tried to get medical assistance for the deceased Mozambican taxi driver after he was placed in the police holding cells. Bong Musam Luli gave the High Court in Pretoria a detailed account of how, how Masia was dragged behind a police van for several meters. He also claims Masia was aggressive towards the police when he resisted arrest. Mluli and seven other police officers are facing a murder charge after Masia was found dead in the holding cells at the Daventon police station in 2013. Pumzlim Langeni reports. Taking the stand in an attempt to clear his name, like his other three former colleagues who have testified, Bongmo Samjuli claims Masia was aggressive towards the police and resisted arrest. He says while trying to put Masia in the back of the police van, the outraged crowd started pulling Masia and he lost his balance. It was at this time when his colleague fired a warning shot, trying to disperse the crowd. A commotion then ensued, which he says left him disturbed and confused about what had happened. He says moments later he saw Masia being dragged behind a moving vehicle. He put him back in the van after it stopped after a hundred meters. He also claims to have unlocked the handcuffs on Masia when he arrived at the police station. Masia had suffered head injuries. Mluli says Masia was half naked after his pants fell off while he was getting out of the van. He also testified that the taxi driver apologized to the police and pleaded with them not to arrest him. He says he tried to get medical assistance for Masia at a nearby clinic but was told there was a shortage of doctors and ambulances. Elia accused number three, Pesimnisi, distanced himself from the incident. He testified that he never saw the actual dragging as he was trying to disperse the angry crowd. The state has argued that he is not telling the truth, accusing him of being one of the officers who participated in the arrest of Masia. Mluli will meanwhile continue to be cross-examined by the state on Friday. Ampumzilim Langin in Pretoria. The UN High Commissioner for Human Rights has condemned the death sentence of an alternative medicine doctor in Iran. Mohammad Ali Taheri, the founder of a spiritual movement and practitioner of alternative medicine, was charged by the Revolutionary Court for the crime of corruption on earth. High Commissioner Zaid Rad al-Hussein said the death penalty for peacefully exercising freedom of expression and religion is a clear violation of international human rights law. He called on Iran to immediately withdraw the charges and ensure Mr. Taheri's unconditional release. Daniel Johnson, speaking to OHCHR spokesperson Ravina Shamdasani.
We are um, absolutely alarmed uh, that the death penalty has been imposed on Muhammad Ali Taheri, who is the founder of a spiritual movement in Iran. He's a writer and a practitioner of alternative medicine theories. Now, he has been charged with corruption on earth, uh, which is a very broad and ill-defined charge that was placed upon him by the Revolutionary Court in Iran. He has now been sentenced to death for these offenses, and we are absolutely outraged that somebody could be sentenced to death for peaceful exercise of freedom of expression and belief. Yes, and it's prompted uh, an appeal from the High Commissioner for Human Rights, Zed Rad al-Hussein, to ask for Iran to do something about this uh, as quickly as possible and maybe uh, specify exactly what charges or what the charges mean. Indeed, yes. The High Commissioner is calling on the Iranian authorities to immediately withdraw the charges against Tahiri and to ensure his unconditional release. Iran has reportedly executed more than 600 people so far this year, and the vast majority of these are for drug offenses. Some of these people who were executed were below the age of 18 when the crime was committed, and there are other cases where there were broad, ill-defined laws that were used to charge individuals who were later executed for the commission of these crimes. Yes. Now, Iran has signed the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, so that means that even though it hasn't abolished the death penalty, it should only be used for the most serious crimes, and that's interpreted as meaning crimes only involving intentional killing, which Mm -hmm. doesn't appear to be the case, even though we don't know very much about these charges. That's right. The the international law requires that in countries that have not abolished the death penalty, it can only be used for the most serious crimes, which has been interpreted to mean crimes involving intentional killing. In Mr. Tahiri's case, there was no charge uh, implying anything to do with intentional killing or killing of any sort. Uh, He's been charged for for various things over the past few years, including for insulting Islamic sanctities, for corruption on earth. In in no case um, has he been accused of any kind of violence. That was UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Ravina Shamdasani, speaking to UN Radio's Daniel Johnson. Our economics update up next. And I'm Tabiso Lohoko. South Africa's National Union of Mine Workers has slammed mining companies for sending out 11,000 notices to union members, notifying them of their retrenchments. Mining companies have cited labor unrest and low commodity prices for having to let the people go. Despite this, NUM and AMCU have rejected final wage offers in the mining sector, insisting on salary increases of up to 100%. The union has threatened to take its fight to the streets if retrenchments go ahead. NUM General Secretary David Sipunzi. Indeed, we agree with Minister Ramatodi that the mining companies should have pursued other alternatives than shortcut solutions. The NUM believes that companies should look at alternatives such as shifting workers to other viable operations. It is for this reason South Africans should view the retrenchments atrocities meted against 1,000 workers and their families at Glencoe as unpatriotic and undemocratic. Zimbabwe's central bank has kept lending rates for finance institutions at 18% and moved in to reform the banking sector in a bid to improve economic activity and enhance stability. Lending rates in Zimbabwe have been as high as 30% and this was stifling companies' capacity to borrow to fund operations or revive projects. 
Egypt's ambassador to Zambia, Ragai Tofik Nasser, says the expanded Egyptian Suez Canal will boost world trade. The ambassador says Egypt will start earning about 30 billion US dollars per year for the new waterway from the 10 billion US dollars it used to earn before the expansion. Lesotho's fishing industry has the opportunity and potential to produce world-class products. This is according to Reginald Labusohi, Managing Director at Highlands Trout, the biggest foreign fishing company in Lesotho, situated at Gaze Dam in the Maluti Mountains. Labusohi worked in the gold fields prior to being deployed to Lesotho as part of the team that manages the Highlands Trust project. Greece's jobless rate has fallen to 25% in May from 25.6% in uh, the previous month. The lending in May, based on seasonally adjusted data, was the lowest since June 2012 when unemployment stood at 24.9%. The jobless rate has hit a record high of 27.9% in September 2013. Greece's economy contracted by 0.2% in the first quarter, dipping back into recession after a fragile recovery last year. One U.S. dollar, 12.75 in South Africa, 10.9 in Botswana, 7.79 in Zambia, 6.4 British pound, 9.1 euro. Gold, 1.089 dollars, platinum, 9.51 dollars an ounce, brand crude, 4.9 dollars, 7.7 cents a barrel. Channel Africa's economic update, I'm Tabiso Lohoku. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Call Tranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Africa, rise and shine. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Mujemwa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka. In Yawundi, informing the world about Africa. Ntakwanangatani in Mohalizuk, Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. In our sports update this hour, starting off with netball news, the South African netball team has got its World Cup campaign in Sydney, Australia, off to a disappointing start. The Proteas have lost their opening clash against Malawi 58-51 after trailing 27-22 at halftime. Malawi successfully applied pressure on the South Africans throughout the match, while the Proteas conceded too many turnovers. Malawi goalkeeper Mwai Gwenda stole the show, shooting 40 goals from 43 attempts. South Africa will face Singapore in their next clash tomorrow. In football news, the African Football Confederation, CAF, has declined to back Liberia's Musa Billiti 
in his bid to stand for the FIFA presidency. Billity addressed CAF's executive committee in Cairo at his own request, but was told he would not get their backing, although they wished him good luck. The decision comes with South African businessman and former political prisoner Tokyo Sikhwale mulling whether to stand. A spokesman for Sikhwale says he's considering a bid. Kef also says it had nominated Hani Abu Rida of Egypt and Constant Omari from the Democratic Republic of Congo as its representatives on the FIFA task force, which has been set up to propose reforms to Soka's world governing body. And on to Commonwealth news, Saskok President Gideon Sam says he is delighted that the Commonwealth Games Federation Evaluation Commission has given 95% of Deben's bids the thumbs up. Sam is accompanying the last group of Commonwealth delegates on their visit to the city to inspect the plans. He says the Evaluation Commission has raised issues concerning transport and financial guarantees by national government. Uh, we know that Durban is very good in terms of um, uh, putting up the transport. We saw it during uh, Rugby World Cup. We saw it during uh, 2010. We saw it even as, as late as uh, last weekend with, uh, with the triathlon here, Ironman. So we, we don't have any concerns about that. And the other one, of course, which is being addressed by our national government is all issue of uh, the guarantees, the financial guarantees. So these are the only outstanding issues. It has emerged that when Commonwealth countries vote on Devon's bid on the 2nd of September, they can also propose that other sporting codes that are not among Devon's choice of 17 be hosted. Sam says so far member countries have raised the possibility of including gymnastics, a fuller range of shooting events and track cycling. We are very flexible because only when they say yes can we also begin to say all right, what about um, track cycling? Yesterday I was in Peter Marisburg and aware that uh, the African uh, chapter is meeting in Peter Marisburg. And the question that came up, they said, can you actually have the Commonwealth Games without track cycling? And finally with boxing news, undefeated boxing legend Floyd Mayweather has announced his upcoming 12th September fight against Andre Beto in Los Angeles. Floyd Mayweather will put his unbeaten record of 48 without a loss on the line in what he says will be the final fight of his career. Mayweather, who beat Manny Pacquiao in May in what was billed as the fight of the century, will risk his WBC and WBA welterweight world titles against the power-punching two-time welterweight world champion Beto, who has fought 30 and lost only three times at the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas. A victory for Mayweather would match the record of the late heavyweight champion Rocky Marciano, who retired in April 1956 with an unblemished record of 49 fights without a loss. And that's your Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka na Unai.
Recapping our top stories in Africa, Razan Shan at this hour, thousands protest against EGAD's peace proposal in South Sudan and South African opposition party takes President Zuma to court. That wraps up Africa Raz and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzo Ramagadza and Khumuzo Mopulane, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Shine Africa or send us an SMS on 277-969-57930. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news and another hour rather for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa is Peace Square with a song titled Chop My Money. Walk down the street, every guy want to jump on your behind. It's your seduction, they make sure that we stay in line. Sexual corruption, because I'll kill anyone for your time.
You go never ever run down, baby. Run down, baby. And when I'm done, done, tell me if you want some more, baby. Some more. I got plenty dollars in my name. 